Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today's podcast is with my longtime friend, Laura Reeves. Laura is a breeder, exhibitor, and former handler. She also has a podcast, Pure Dog Talk. Today, we will hear how breeders sustain their breed and pick their owners. Laura's motto is, as man plans, God laughs. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and welcome back to Why Do Pets Matter, my podcast. And I'm here today with my long friend, long-term friend, and really, we are cohorts in crime. If we ever get off uh, a topic, we'll be in real trouble, but we're going to try to stay on topic today. Stay on topic. No squirrels. No squirrels. Right. It's Laura Reeves. She's the host of Pure Dog Talk and Good Dog, the podcast. I am so grateful for her being here. She's a former um, handler. She's an AKC judge, and she has been a breeder of merit for 40 years. We were just talking about that, and boy, that's a long time in the whelping box, Miss Laura. Well, I can't say I've been a, technically a breeder of merit for 40 years because it didn't used to exist, but I have been breeding dogs with my family and by myself for 40 years. Yeah, so starting you've been you've my, been there for a long time. As yeah, it, starting with it, my parents' field trial labs in the 70s and on through wow. today. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So we always start, why do pets matter? With the first question, Laura, why do pets matter to you? Pets are, in all honesty, the best thing in our lives. They are, they are always the best things in our lives. They keep us happy. They're always happy to see us. They're not mad when we're late. They still greet us at the door with glee. You could, we should all be as good as our dogs. Right. They never throw the guilt bomb, although sometimes they do. I've got a few guilt bombs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But they they don't have watches. So I, you know, my dogs will start telling me. My chihuahua can definitely tell you what time it is. She knows. Breakfast is at 10. It is now 10.01. What is wrong? Yeah, I was going to say it usually has to do, their timing usually has to do with their bellies. Uh, Although I have an Irish here whose timing has to do with her walks. And so she starts. Everybody has timing. Timing to go in, timing to go out, timing to have breakfast, timing to have dinner. Dogs uh, tell time, but in a different way, I think. And and it's um, immediate, not spatial. And I find that they're, you know, I loved when you said they're the best thing in our lives, because no matter what is going on for us, they seem to intuit when we need them around and when they need to just lay quietly. Most, most dogs are amazing at that. And over, 
over the years, I, my breed that I am most associated with is German wire-haired pointers. And over the years, I have had many who were just the most amazing empaths, if we think of it in, in a human term, right? They knew, they knew stuff and they would just look at you and there's dogs out there that you look in their eyes and you bounce off, man. They're just there to have a good time. But there's dogs that you look in your eyes and they are old souls. And yeah. I have had a, a goodly interaction with a goodly number of both of those, but the old souls are the ones who reach me. And yeah. uh, those they, are what we refer to as what? Those heart dogs. Those heart dogs, yeah. Yep, those are the we ones. That, you know, it's interesting. You know, we we've you you and I both have been in the breed for a number of years, and so we've had many dogs put paws on our hearts, and um, we miss everyone. We absolutely miss everyone who leaves our sphere. We know we're going to see them again on the other side of the Rainbow Bridge. At least we believe we are. Um, I know that I see them sometimes uh, running across the yard or in their offspring, and you just yes. go, "Oh my God, did you have to inherit that?" Right. And you know, here's a thing, Deborah. I mean, I, I'm at, I, I don't know, probably 25 litters. There are about a couple dozen litters <clears throat> from my foundation. My foundation was built by the breeders who came before me and German wire hair pointers. I combined two really long and powerful lines and, and have sort of built my own family from that foundation. And I, you know, seven, eight generations now, you know, direct fish line all the way down. And it is amazing to me what they inherit. It's not the beautiful front or the gorgeous head or the perfect coat or what have you. They get things like the TikTok tail and the chair sitting gene. And, <laughs> and the counter surfing gene. <laughs> it's whatever, right? Like each yep. one has their own thing. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I, I, I believe that, uh, as dog breeders, we should humbly accept the notion that man plans and God laughs because that is how that works. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know that I'm looking at a whelping box and I know you look in many whelping boxes and you can point out this one's going to be the troublemaker. This one's going to be the quiet one. And oh, yeah. nine times out of 10, we're right. Sometimes uh, we we are wrong, but nine times I we're almost right. never miss. I can yeah. pick out the and, and I almost always inevitably wind up say, the troublemaker is the one I want. because Exactly. Exactly. Is, yeah. We always want the troublemaker. We always want the troublemaker. So tell me a little, because a lot of people listen to this who aren't like us, you know, familiar with the lingo. So what does a foundation mean in, in the scheme of things? So you, in, I know you do Spumonis as well, um, but in your German wire hair pointers, mm -hmm. what does that mean? It means? So a foundation, we, we talk about a foundation bitch. So when you are creating a family of dogs, a family tree, right? The family tree starts here. And in dogs, um, our strength in our breeding programs is in the females. Um, in other, like in racehorses, they think of it more in the sire side. In, in dogs, it is absolutely in our females. And the best stud dog is one that comes from a strong bitch line, for example. So you, you create that foundation, you start with that foundation. And in my case, I took um, a very closely 
line bred female on a very um, well-known and popular basically field line, but with dual champions. And I bred her to a very long, very established um, kennel in Northern California, a stud dog from that kennel, uh, solid um, hunting dogs that were also show dogs. And that has always been a priority for me uh, to have a dog that can do both things. And in my world, if a wire hair pointer um, can't earn some of the basic hunting titles, it shouldn't be bred from. Um, and so that's, you know, health, temperament, structure, ability, those things are my foundation of how I think about the family of dogs that I've created. And so that's, that's what I started with. And so from that initial breeding, from that initial combination, and I went into different pieces of that particular breeder's kennel a couple different times. And I've just sort of woven um, what is now pretty recognizable um, head style, temperament, ability, um, versatility, the idea of a dog that can literally excel at whatever it is you ask them to do. Right, that form and function, because we really want our dogs to do what they were bred to do way back when, but also be structurally correct in doing it. And the thing to remember is that anyone, whether you have a top-notch, best-in-show winning dog, whether you have a um, balls-to-the-wall field trial dog, or whether you have a couch potato, Everyone wants and should aspire to own a dog that is basically well-constructed because a sound dog is a healthy dog. Right. So even if your dog's entire job is to go bring you your slippers and carry in the newspaper and go for a walk around the block, it is going to do that job more soundly for a longer period of time and in greater comfort if it is basically structurally sound. Yeah, and that that is the key piece that you and I were talking about before we got on in that we really do take the time to test the dogs we're moving forward with for their structural soundness, which I, I love that you put in um, their temperament as well as their structure, because quite frankly, if you have a dog with a bad temperament, but they're beautiful, you, as, a, as a responsible breeder, you need to take a minute and say, do I want to carry that forward? Because as breeders, we both are, uh, knowing that temperament is almost 100% inheritable, you know, you'll get 50% of the mom and 50% of the dad. So you're going to carry that forward, whichever dog it's in. What do you do to evaluate a dog? The tests you do both visually and spending time with the dog, and then the tests that we take to make sure their hips are good or their eyes are good or their elbows are good. What are those things that you do to make sure um, that what you're bringing forward is, is, is continuing to create that picture you have in your mind's eye? So for my purposes, my ideal, my, we talk great right, with 21st century. We talk about my avatar. Yeah. My oh, yeah. avatar. There you go. My avatar of the German wire hair pointer has a, a picture of them um, and what they look like 
but it also is a happy, healthy family companion. Okay, so those are all four super important pieces. And so happy is the temperament piece. And I am absolutely um, unbending on my insistence that the dogs that carry forward in the gene pool from my family of dogs be dogs who are not sound sensitive, be set dogs who do not have an appropriate human or other dog aggression, be dogs that are not going to have a meltdown if they're left unattended, no, the separation anxiety, some of those things. Um, and German wire hair pointers are a breed that was designed to do a lot of things. They're designed to be a stand-up dog. They're supposed to be aloof. They're supposed to be a little bit tough. And so if we're not careful in how we breed these dogs, they can go over that line. They can to cross become, over the dark side. Yes, they can. And, and so it is absolutely imperative um, that you pay attention to that. And if you try too much to soften that temperament, to, to if you will, Americanize it, to make it more compatible with the 21st century where not very many people use them for their original intended purpose. If you take away the stand-up, right, the sensible, all you are left with is the tough, and, and that will oftentimes make a fear biter. So it's a really, really important balance to maintain, and the testing for that is literally going to dog shows, doing performance events, going to field events, being out in society. Um, I do, when the puppies are young, I, I particularly use something called the Volhard temperament test. Um, it's not ideal for every breed, but it works well for mine. And it talks mostly about um, a dog's willingness to interact with people. And it, and it gauges that level. So um, I use that test, although after 25 years of watching this family of dogs, I can pretty much tell you, you know, like you yeah, said. Yeah, we did say that before. We can point out the troublemakers in the litter almost as soon as their eyes open. Right. So the 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 quiet one, the, the thinker, the bold one, the this. And then a big part of the important process is to match those puppies with the buyers and the families that are going to most appreciate that particular temperament. It does me absolutely no good if my super bold, super bright, first out of the box, balls to the wall dog goes to a retired 75-year-old couple. That's not going to be a good match. No. Somebody's going to end up broken and it probably isn't the dog. <laughs> well, and, and so much of being a responsible breeder is to that. Place them correctly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting you say that because I just have a friend who got a dog out of my litter 11 years ago and she was the one who was perfect for the older couple who wanted to take her on long walks on the beach. And so they had this easy dog that lived 11 years and was the love of their life. And now they got another Irish setter from a colleague of mine um, who was the last one um, who did, whose owner, you know, left or whatever. So they got this puppy, no screening, just, would you like this puppy? Okay. So now she goes, how come she's not like Mary? And I said, well, I said, she probably will be like Mary. I said, however, she's not like her now because 
probably she was a little bit of a wild woman of Borneo. I said, and I didn't give you a wild woman of Borneo. So, you, you know, you just have to figure it out and it'll work out. You just have to do a little more work than you had to do with my dog because I had already earmarked this dog for you because of how she acted in the litter. She wasn't somebody who was refused and maybe was going to a family with 10 kids. Um, and she's, you know, alone. So you're absolutely right. You know, something you said before made me really think about this because it is about making sure that people get the animals they want. And I know nowadays um, you're on Pure Dog Talk talking with people who are in the dog show world or in the, you know, in the world of purebred dogs. Um, and then you're also talking with people at Good Dog, which has aligned with helping breeders and I use that term because people are trying to be responsible about being breeders. They may not show their dogs, um, but they're, you know, creating dogs for a market um, who are trying to do the right thing, who are trying to get dogs who um, have their health certificates and things like that so that they can carry forward. I mean, I know I've listened to you talk on the podcast for Good Dog and on um, Pure Dog Talk, and you're always talking about making sure the dogs you take forward are the best of the best and breed it to something that hopefully you've gotten all the information um, from the stud dog or the brood bitch, whatever, so that you know you're making a good match on the other side. Um, how do we uh, assimilate those worlds? Because having that education and knowing to test the dogs and then having sort of the um, uh, inability of those worlds to coexist. Um, okay, so I, there's, that's kind of a big package. So I'm gonna take it and focus it a little bit. Perfect. One of the things that I think Good Dog has done an amazing job at is sort of learning how to translate um, dog people speak, which is kind of like Greek to most humans. Like foundation bitch, right? Yep. Right. Exactly. To the average person out there in society who wants a companion and being able to then reverse translate what I, what I use uh, the term John Q public, right? The average person translate what they think and they understand back to dog breeders who think those people over there are definitely speaking, you know, Ethiopian. Yes. Like they cannot make the connection. And one of the things that um, Good Dog offers through their platform is the almost translation service between these two very disparate um, groups of, of individuals and in a world in which the conversation around pets, around owning pets, around breeding dogs quite specifically has been um, sort of hijacked um, by groups that are not what I would think of as subject matter experts. Um, people who run organizations that are associated with an anti-breeder position rarely have any experience actually breeding dogs. Yeah. And so one of the things that I find most powerful with Good Dog is the ability to use almost a megaphone, an amazing platform in order to help change that conversation and to give actual subject matter experts um, an opportunity 
to provide information to help people understand the facts. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I hate to, I hate to get bogged down on something so silly as facts, but um, that that's actually a thing. And there are shades of gray in every, every single facet of society, but there are such things as objective facts. Yeah. And it's interesting because Dogs have become so important during COVID. So have cats and birds and reptiles sometimes. But dogs are really the, the ones who have, have successfully navigated us through COVID. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. They're the lifeline and the lifesaver for some people who are living alone. So here we have these dogs. And I know that we talked about statistics before we got on the air. So AKC registers about a million dogs a year. However, there is a desire for between eight and nine million dogs a year. And if we if we listen to those people who are anti-breeder um, and want everything spayed or altered so there are no unwanted dogs, um, then how are we going to fill that uh, shortfall of seven million in the future? And is there some way to assist? And I think that's what Good Dog is trying to do, not only responsible breeders, but responsible owners. And that is an enormous part of it is um, we talk about reaching out to the pet owner with information about how to be a responsible dog owner. We also provide information to dog breeders so they can do a job um, that enables them to provide healthy, well-adjusted companions. And nobody starts anything as a perfectionist, right? Um, but if you want to go in and have a cancerous tumor removed from your brain, would you prefer to have it done by a brain surgeon or a plumber? I personally want a brain surgeon. And so I believe that it is important that we understand and respect the knowledge that is available from experienced dog breeders and be able to provide that knowledge to younger people or newer people who are trying to learn and haven't had that opportunity. So and this is good. This is a platform. This is a platform that is specifically and intentionally built for another purpose to educate dog breeders and responsible dog owners and make them aware of one another. It's interesting because the, the issue that usually comes up is that um, people are looking for dogs that have a certain tendency. So they're hypoallergenic or they're small or they're big or whatever they are. And um, certain dogs have become very popular and certain other dogs, breeders get angry that people are mixing like the Labradoodle and the Golden Doodle and even the Irish Doodle uh, because they want the red of the Irish, my breed, um, and the curly coat so it's not allergenic. But explain to the audience, because I know we both know what the deal is here. 
there is the ones you're going to get that are going to actually meet that need. And then there are the other ones that aren't necessarily going to meet that need. Um, however, the need is there because people really do want to have these wonderful dogs that are going to grace their lives. So here's, here's my position on all of that. I, be, I love dogs. I don't care what they are. I love dogs. I personally love purebred dogs and have pursued um, a lifetime of involvement in purebred dogs. I also do not believe it is my job to tell anyone how to or what to breed. I can offer suggestions. I can offer recommendations. I can offer best practices. I can educate, but I cannot, and I don't believe anyone should mandate. There's a big difference there. And so for me, what I talk to people about is that purebred dogs are history. They are art. They are living history. They represent a specific place and a specific people at a specific point in time. And so my passion is for the art and the history replicated. The of purebred dogs. Okay. The other thing that purebred dogs are is consistent. And if I want a 20 pound dog that is unlikely to shed very much and is white, I know that my options include a miniature poodle, a Bichon Frise, a Laotian, and a few other breeds that we can talk about. But if I go to the animal shelter and I see a little white puffy dog and I take it home and it turns out it's a Samoyed or some other cross, um, I don't have that predictability and that consistency. And I don't have that understanding. And for many people, that's okay. And that, and okay, great. Then, then, it, then take a dog from a shelter um, and, and do that. And that's a wonderful thing to do, but understand you don't have the reliability that you will have from a purebred dog acquired from a breeder. Now, crossbred dogs um, are a whole nother category. They're, they're people crossing, as you mentioned, two different breeds entirely to make a new combination of breeds. That doesn't make it a purebred dog. It is simply two purebred dogs or multiple purebred dogs bred together, okay? And, and they can be cute and they can be adorable and they can be charming. And sometimes they are as advertised and sometimes they are not because they are crossbred, not purebred. And the difference between the two is that a purebred dog is going to replicate. It is going to be predictably what it is within very minimal parameters. Okay? A crossbred dog is not. And, and that is the defining difference between crossbred and purebred. I mean, that's just simple... Um, actual definitions. And so I think that people maybe are lacking the basic animal husbandry of understanding that, that if I want a St. Bernard, I know that the St. Bernard is going to be 200 pounds of slobber and fur. If I don't want that, I don't want to accidentally have that. Right. <laughs> and so purebred dogs are predictability in addition to the history and the culture and the art and, and the things that I find aesthetically appealing, I know that I can always count on that breed to be what that breed should be. 
Yeah, and and that's the important piece. And I know that some of the parties who are really taking the time to health test their poodles and their Irish setters or their Labradors or their retrievers who they're breeding together are a step above. And there's the Australian, I think it's the Labradoodle or Golden Doodle that has now been able to replicate itself in the second generation, because that's the other piece is that if you really want uh, a Labradoodle or a Golden Doodle, it has to be first generation because second generation makes it a little less likely that you can, as you said, historically find out what's going to happen next, because it's, it's different. Um, and it's not a criticism and I'm with you. I don't want to tell anybody what kind of dog they want, what type of dog they want to get. I know that I want something that's going to turn out to look red with that personality, with that structure, with that way of going every time I breed an Irish setter. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily be open to saying, oh yeah, breed my Irish setter to a poodle so that we get the curly coats. I mean, they're very cute. As you said, they're really cute. However, you know, I'm also one of those who thinks if you want one of those dogs, um, please God, the wonderful Portuguese water dog, the wonderful Irish water spaniel, you know, because I'm in the sporting group. So I'm going to always go to the sporting dog. The Romagnolo. Yeah. I mean, there there are any number of non-shedding breeds that match any number of lifestyles. And I think it's just a matter of awareness and knowledge yeah. and a pumi. I mean, what is cuter than something that looks like a freaking koala bear? And right? you know, the and thing that's important is that you really do have to do your homework and it's not an easy fix. It's not something. And the other thing we need to chat about, which you and I chatted about is that it sometimes takes a long time to get these dogs because we don't breed as often. We don't breed for the market. We usually breed. I mean, most breeders breed to enhance their breed. So you have the um, wire hair, short hair pointer, wired forget it. I'm never going to say it right. And I'm going to get in trouble. I have the there Irish wire haired pointers, wire haired pointers. And, and um, I have the Irish and we breed when we need something um, or when we think this is going to really add to our, um, our thing. And sometimes we breed because there is so many people clamoring us to breed because they've had our dogs before. They don't want anybody else's dog. And so you, you know, you have a line, but sometimes your life, your schedule, your dogs, don't give you that opportunity to have a litter. And so there are disappointed people out there. How do we help those people understand the time that it takes to get one of these crazy dogs that we breed um, and why they should wait? I know I have my, my husband's secretary was waiting patiently for Vishla. And of course, nothing showed up because everybody had a list. Um, so she bought a blue lacy, a Texas blue lacy. And um, they look like nice, very nice dogs, different dogs. I think they're sort of a cross a between. Yeah, not a Vishla. Sort of a cross mm -hmm. between a Labrador and a, and a Weimaran, I think, because it had the yellow eyes. Uh, but you know what? She couldn't wait. She waited since March and she finally broke down in September. And people who want dogs, especially now, really want them today. I mean, that's our culture, which sort of sucks for breeders. Well, I, I think, again, you're, you're, you, you're looking at a specific, um, literally societal situation, right? Um, and, and then add a, the vortex of a pandemic and people that, you know, want companionship or what have you. And so I think as a society, the United States has a tendency to be... Um, 
the land of instant gratification. I, I don't think that's an unfair assessment. Um, and I think if I could do any one thing, it would be to encourage people to understand that you are acquiring a companion for 15 years. You are not acquiring a toaster. It does not come off the shelf with pre-approved colors and X number of temperature settings, et cetera. The closest you can come to that is a purebred dog. But that comes with a weight. So you make your decisions. You decide more importantly than I have to have it tomorrow, or more importantly than it should be fluffy and have blue eyes, the most important thing that a dog buyer should consider is their family's needs. Do they need a low energy dog? Do they need a tidy dog? Do they need a quiet dog? Do they need um, an athletic dog? Do they need a powerful dog? Do they need a tiny dog? What does your family need to fit most comfortably into your situation? And ask the questions in your family. What do we want to do with our dog? How much time and energy do we actually have to devote to our dog? Should we really get a goldfish? <laughs> okay, these are questions that need to be answered in your family. Before the that dog comes, comes home. Before the dog comes home, yes, exactly. And then once you've answered that question, then you go and you do some research, whether you look at Good Dog or you look at the American Kennel Club website or you... You look know. at the UKC, wherever you look, see. every, well, every breed has a national club. Go look and have them tell you exactly you what. You might not even know the breed, right? So, so, so one of the things that I think is really useful is to be able to say, okay, I want a dog that weighs about 20 pounds. It has low shedding. It doesn't drool all over the place. It, da, 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 you know, these are my requirements. And, and then you start going through the resources and say, what breed of dog is this, 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 and this, then you can start looking at what breeds of dogs are this, 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 and this. And my, dis my problem with your secretary is not so much that she needed a dog right now, but that if she wanted a Vishla, a Vishla is one type of dog. A Texas Blue Lacey is a very, 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 very different type of dog. And so, more important than the specific breed or crossbreed or what have you is for each person and each individual and each family to understand what is going to suit their family best, not how it looks. Or how, how soon you can get it. Or how and soon then, you can get it. Yeah. And then you can decide what, when, why, and hopefully how being from a responsible breeder. Yeah, it really is. It's a shelter, a shelter dog is a good option, then that's great. Then, then you can look in the shelter system. And we really don't have any issue with somebody going to a shelter or, you know, wanting to have spay or alter because they don't want to have to worry about that kind of thing. But I'd love to have you back. We're coming to the end. I can't believe how fast 30 minutes goes. It's ridiculous um, because I'd love to chat some more about, you know, the spay alter and how that may, in fact, impact that eight million dogs we need every year to replace. If you spay and alter everything, there's going to be a little bit of a worry there, even even if you want a mixed breed. Um, and it's some of that. And there's also a question question of when is your dog being spayed or neutered? Is it, is it having long-term lifetime health effects from being 
altered too young. Right. And that happens in mixed breeds as well. It doesn't just happen to purebreds, because if you make, if you have a dog altered or spayed very early, there are long term effects because you never let their growth plates close. We could go on forever. But Laura, thank you so much. I'm so glad you're, you came. I mean, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And you know that we you know have a lot to talk about. So I'm hopeful that you will find time in your schedule so we can talk more about Good Dog, because it is a really good platform for people to get dogs, both purebreds, mixed breeds whatever. Um, talk more about responsible ownership. There's a colleague of mine who comes to my uh, map plan discussions uh, who is writing up a whole program on what you need to know and take a test in before you get a dog so you're a responsible owner. Now, we as breeders screen for that, but we also mentor for that. If you're getting a dog from a shelter, you're getting a dog from someone who's not gonna necessarily keep up with you after you buy the dog, then you really need to know what you're getting into. And this responsible dog ownership license uh, might be the next best thing to being able to sell to someone who knows what they're getting into like I said, before they get the dog, because I can and tell you that I've gotten goldfish. Yeah, I get a goldfish. Well, you know, I started a business when I stopped practicing law full time 13 years ago. Um, and then I came back because it was easier. Uh, and I wanted to help people find the right dog. And I kept talking them out of it for just the reasons you talked about. OK, what's the responsibility? What's the work? What do you have to do? And I've had people while I'm walking around the neighborhood here say, God, I was thinking of getting a dog, but it's raining out. and You're walking the dog. Well, duh. Um, you know, it rains, it snows, it's colder than the Dickens. The dog still has to go for its walk because they really do need exercise unless you buy, you know, Pekingese and maybe even they need exercise, but likely you don't have to walk them in the rain. Um, they will probably go outside and self-exercise. Uh, Laura, thank you so much. So Laura, Pure Dog Talk, don't miss it. We'll put all the um, links to Pure Dog Talk where uh, Laura speaks and also um, the Good Dog Podcast uh, because I want to make sure everyone can keep up with Laura, keep up with Why Do Pets Matter? Thank you so much for being here. Remember, Wednesday nights, we have the MAP program, Navigating the Journey Your Pet Takes When You Can't Care For It. And until next time, thank you so much for being here and take care of your pets. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcasts. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.